listening to episode 306 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we conclude our journey with season one, episode 13 of The Magicians, titled, Have You Brought Me Little Cakes? And I I guess one of the things that I thought uh, during the course of the week is that I love this show, and whether we ever cover a subsequent season or not, I'm going on. So what about you? Uh, I actually did go on. Without, really? Yeah. I, after watching uh, this one, I mean, it's a pretty effing big cliffhanger, you know? Yeah, it does. Like it's, it's, it's a pretty disciplined individual who could watch a whole, all of season one and not at least check out the first maybe two or three of season two just to find out what happens with you know the end of this this episode so okay so how far into season two did you get um i think i'm on like episode 10 now i think so i'm almost wow oh my goodness yeah it's um yeah i'm not gonna throw any spoilers out and there's things um that happen in season two that could answer questions we have about this episode i'm not gonna you know throw any of that stuff out there just you know it's pretty good there's there's things about it that i really like things about it I'm not crazy about I you know I think I've discovered it's for some reason the magicians it's just a show if I could just watch it and not have to like take notes on it which means basically not really look for any kind of depth in the show I enjoy it a lot more so I think it's more enjoyable than it is deep I think okay. maybe and, and that might open me up to a lot of criticism but you know I just you know, found like if I hadn't have to think about it so much, I seem to like it a little bit more. So I don't know. Well, I you know, maybe our discussion will change your mind about how deep or not that the show really well, is. And well, this, this episode excluded, I should say, okay. as far as that goes. Okay. Well, this, yeah, it's this funny. episode is super deep. Because some of the uh, Facebook posters have, you know, mentioned about subsequent seasons of the magicians it it doesn't get better it it gets better yeah i mean i guess it's opinions are all over the place so i thought you know i'll ask michael what he thinks because he's been covering it for den of geeks since season one his opinion and, and of course you take an opinion for what it's worth is that it progressively gets better and i guess i feel like well i really like season one i really like the characters I'm invested at this point, so that that's certainly good to hear. Um, so, all right, well, cool. Um, but we were not we, s- we were not crazy about this show at the start, though, Dave. If if you remember the early days of of, of season one, right? And I think that's kind of a a situation that happens with a lot of shows that that they depend more on exposition, introducing characters at the beginning at the at the uh, sake of the storyline and you know maybe that's the case here but uh, anyway so we'll see as as we've said the last couple weeks we're not really sure what we're going to do post season two of dark uh, you know other than the fact that we are going to tackle patreon uh, patron mike jacobs request to review the original dirk gently's holistic detective agency pilot and we're going to do that when we conclude our run of season two of dark which obviously begins next week and uh you know as we say we want to thank our patreon supporters and you know if you're interested in supporting the podcast you can go to the website sci-fi tv rewatch.podbean.com and there's a link over to the right or you can go to patreon.com slash sci-fi tv rewatch so uh we have a lot to talk about this time so we're going to forego uh, our our tip of the week and you know just just in general uh it, it certainly sounds like you really like this episode as did i oh yeah yeah this is probably it's probably the best i think of this season the one uh-huh. i like the most oh, yeah okay I, I might be i might be willing to go into the the upper regions of of a land on this one Okay. Well, I'm certainly going with a straight on A. As you've said many times, an A plus yeah. is a nah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, a, no, no A plus here, but right, but solid so, A. I'm thinking. Okay, so this is episode 13 of season one. Have you brought me little cakes? 
written by Sarah Gamble and John McNamara and David Reed. And, you know, if you forgot, Sarah Gamble and John McNamara are also the showrunners and not, I mean, the creators of the show. Obviously, it's based on uh, Lev Grossman's novel. Directed by Scott Smith, it aired on my brother's birthday, April 11th, 2016. And I won't say how old he was at that point. Um, I'm guessing, and maybe I'm wrong, that you weren't too crazy about the narrative device of the excessive voiceovers. Well, you would maybe think that, but actually, in this case, I kind of liked it. Okay. I don't like the voiceover replacing like images you know like it, it's just a lazy way to move the plot forward but in this case they're not like that they're really it was like kind of like comedy you know yeah so i i thought it was i thought it was funny um i, I really was okay with the the voiceovers in this one okay and, and i guess one of the things that strikes me especially when we get to the end for an episode with such a whimsical title most of the events are anything but, you know. Uh, and, right. Well, and that's why the title completely sucks. Well, yeah, I guess so. I thought, uh, uh, you know, like you think, oh, well, that's that's a strange title. I wonder, you know, I wonder how that's going to play out. I wonder what important part that's going to play. Just some stupid line said by a, you know, a, an overweight god with horns. You know, like it just seemed like. Just the name that give the the whole episode the name of, of such a dumb throwaway unimportant line. So, well, one of the things, and we're going to talk about this at at the end of the episode discussion, and perhaps this is because I've become so engrossed in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, you know, Joss Whedon's. I guess really the first series that that he worked with that really brought his name to the forefront. And it's heavily steeped in metaphor, symbol, and a a pretty close adherence to the traditional hero's journey. And and we'll talk about Campbell, you know, in a little while. But if we consider that as a possibility for the magicians, who's the hero? I mean, obviously, Quentin is up there to be considered. Is it Julia? Is it both of them? Uh, when we talked earlier earlier in the week, you mentioned Alice. Yeah. So are you still thinking her as a possibility? I, you know, I Obviously, at the, at the end here, you know, like, I think Quentin basically hands over the reins to her as, as the, the hero of the story. Yeah, but that being said, I, I think maybe there is, well, you know, we would think with julia until she pulls the move she does at the end so i think that maybe cuts her out of the discussion but uh you know maybe uh you know alice and quentin can kind of can share the the title of hero of the show because um you know certainly quentin's forgoing that that last battle he so is looking forward to he's always seen himself as that guy for him to pass that up to to alice is a pretty big thing Right. I mean, is he the chosen one? And and as you said, he is really disappointed when he's not king of Fillory. And and then in this case as well, as you said, he gives it over to Alice, who tells him, you're not as good as I hoped, but you're better than you know. And I guess we have to wonder whether he's afraid to fail. But but again, we'll talk a little bit about that when we get more specific with the hero's journey. You know, at some point, Alice has just got to effing get over it, man. You know? Well, it's but like, we don't know how much time has elapsed either. Well, no matter how much time, they're about to face some kind of deadly danger. And she's still bitching because he, you know, so he slept with Margot and Elliot. Big deal, right? Get over it. Well, They're wrong say, emotions. Like, who cares? Okay, but she says she's not going to let it impact the the battle against the beast. But uh, I really like the narrative device of having Q writing book seven of Fillory and further. And, you know, he and Julia are, are seeking the gods, Ember and Umber. And, and of course, we remember that, that Q was given the manuscript of book six, which he lost and Penny found it, read it, 
threw it away. I think he even says he spilled beer on it uh, at one point. But supposedly that chronicled Jane Chatwin's view of what happened. So I wonder whether book seven is simply Quentin's view. You right. know, we, we don't get a complete picture here, but that seems to be the case. And if so, I kind of like it. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, I, like I, I, we, I'm famous. Well, not famous, but in this show, I obviously have expressed my, you know, discontent with voiceovers. But in this one, I really thought it worked well narratively, and, and that it wasn't just some cheap way to avoid filming scenes. Okay, and so chapter one, the journey of the witch and the fool. So they're following Jane, who's caught in the trap, and they realize this is a scene straight out of the book. And I really love the delayed recognition as they yeah. wait for the two magicians to save her. It was like, well, wait a minute, it's us, right? <laughs> and then he says, well, which one am I? And you see the look on her face; it's priceless. Yeah. yeah. But the other thing that I forgot briefly is that they're in Fillory 1942. So not only are we dealing with the parallel or alternate dimensions, but also time as well, because obviously in a few chapters, they're brought to Fillory 2016, which is, of of course, uh, I don't want to say completely different place, but certainly different in, in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, it's well, it's like a, a you know a wasteland. It's, yeah, right, right, exactly. That that's certainly what it appears. Um, I, I like the fact that they don't spend a lot of time on each chapter until we get towards the end. Chapter two, by all means, hinge your entire quest on a traumatized boy, which obviously <laughs> refers to Martin Chatwin, who yes. takes them to a smith to get him to forge a master magician murder weapon. And again, I mean, I I guess given what we've suspected about Martin, it's just really hard to feel anything for him at this point. Well, well, we see him here and we don't know he's the beast yet. So he's still just a boy. Right. I mean, well, you know, you, you wouldn't know he was the beast yet if you really a hadn't really been paying attention or B um, didn't happen across the you know, wiki for Plover and accidentally discovering the first line that Martin is the beast. Thank you very much, whoever does the wiki for the show. But uh, so, you know, at this point, if we don't know that, then we just see, you know, kind of like a scared boy. But Mm -hmm. you're right. There's a – and then they take that time jump. So we don't see, you know, really how that – happens how he goes from that boy to become the beast you know it's just like and again and and obviously you know we might as well say elf in the room one of my complaints about last episode was the big narrative jump with the lady of underground and obviously now this one we see why that is but in this case it's just a really big jump that's literally a jump where we just like you know, you just have to accept that this kid who actually seems like a decent kid will one day grow up to be this psychopathic killing machine. Right, but we do learn how he did it. Now, as you said, we go from, you know, Martin in 1942 to Martin in 2016, and you would think he should be a little older, but, okay, be that as it may. Uh, well, yeah, look at Jane, right? Right. Now, chapter three, the watcher woman or the other other identity. And, and and this is important because it's the first time we realize that there's something wrong with Julia. And when adult Jane freezes her so that she won't hear what she's going to tell Q and, and mentions that there's a patch in her memory, it's there for a reason, obviously, to to replace something tragic so uh, we've got that kind of hanging over our heads all along and And that's pretty much where the kind of like the penny dropped for me like oh all right now i get about last week okay now you know so julia's got a lot really to deal with i mean in chapter four she's got Margot just flat out telling her you're not welcome you know on the one hand i understand it 
but but not really. I mean, what did Julia really do to Margot? Well, I guess you know she, you know what she did to Quentin, right? That spell or whatever. I can't really well, remember. Okay, but what you know, it was, but right. Know, but I mean, Margot's put off by it. Yeah, I mean, Margot's not all that invested in Quentin. I I don't think. I mean, she's certainly invested in Elliot, but beyond that, it's not. Oh, you broke into break bills with Marina. I, you know, I don't think they're all that heavily invested in break bills. Uh, uh, Margot, that is. Yeah, so, but yeah, as we see here, Margot already doesn't like anybody else except for Elliot. So you know, you probably don't have to do much to just be completely on her shit list. Well, that's true. And and as they're walking through the woods in Fillory, we see Julia bringing up the rear as the clear outsider in this group. And we get to chapter five, be careful what you bargain for. And they're now in 2016. Is there a sci-fi or genre show that Ryan Robbins is not in? I mean, you, know, I know. you, and, I, you, you and I have talked about the first lady of sci-fi for so many years. Boy, Ryan Robbins would be right up there for the uh, first gentleman. Yeah, he's been in basically everything. Uh, and just to see him, like you're not even surprised. Like sometimes you'd be like, "Hey, Ryan Robbins!" It's like, "Oh yeah, it's Ryan Robbins, big deal." Right. So he's got the knife because he he was the knife maker's son, and he's obviously now grown up. His father's dead. But what he wants in return is for one of the Earthlings to marry his daughter. Because what we learn in this episode is that. The high king of Fillory must be from Earth. He wants them to marry his daughter. And, and of course, I'm immediately thinking like, all right, Walder Frey, God, is his daughter yeah. going to be ugly? And, and right. of course, she's, she's not at all, which Elliot immediately recognizes and is almost immediately all in. But he's got the blade. Actually, it's another blade that, that tests who the high king is going to be so they point out it's not voluntary who gets to marry his daughter she doesn't get to pick and of course as you alluded to at the beginning of the discussion quentin just naturally assumes it's going to be him right which makes it all the better that he's not and right. well especially if he out, goes first like all right well if you go first you're definitely not going to be it and and he's thinking like just do me and get it over with and we'll save time and then how great that it's Elliot who also points out the irony in being the high king. Yeah. <laughs> so so that was pretty cool. Too. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Penny, actually. I thought that would have been cool, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And, and you know, there's a, there's a lot that happens with each character. And, and I one of the things I like about Elliot as the high king is that he immediately embraces it and we know it goes beyond the fact that Fen, his, his bride, is very attractive and he's going to be king because, you know, his relationship with Margot is complicated, to say the least. Right. Is he in love with Margot? Is she in love with him? I, I guess on certain levels, not in the traditional way we understand it. I, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, there's there's absolutely nothing traditional at all about the relationship between Margot and Elliot, and I don't think the relationship between Elliot and anyone else, period, is not going to be like typical, and, and that definitely will play out in season two. So, just a funny side note here is that the actress who plays Fen in this episode, this is the only episode she plays Fen. Uh, they got a different actress, and who because she has a, a much bigger role as the. Uh, as season two progresses. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, I just watched it again. Like I saw him like, Hey, you know, because I, obviously the first time I saw this episode, I hadn't seen, you know, the season two yet, but now having watched a lot of season two and rewatching this, I'm like, wait a minute. That's not Fen. So yeah, it's funny. No, it's funny. All these shows that, that they changed nightfall changed, uh, princess Isabella from, one season to the next i'm doing the rewatch of game of thrones with my wife who's never seen it and i i can't remember the dude's name but but he played uh, the, uh the dario brother. harris exactly right? it's like well wait a minute i thought he had long blonde hair <laughs> yeah yeah well you know it's the, the guy who, well you, you haven't seen deadpool yet so no 
but he the guy who originally played Dario Naharis played the bad guy in Deadpool and everything. And, and yeah, he's like this you know, like, you know, kind of buff, big, long haired, blonde haired dude and then uh they get uh uh Michael what's his name? He's the Huseman. Huseman, right? Who is yeah. not blonde, not super buff, <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of skinnyish yeah. guy. Um and then you know, then he effort you know, spoiler alert, he freaking disappears right like what yeah. happened like all of a sudden like he's just not in game of thrones doll anymore that sucked the, uh anyway well let's get back to, to another LA thing to add up to our you, you um, got me started in the game of thrones things man it's this is your uh, fault i know i know um because the one thing about elliot is he also realizes that this might be balm for the depression that he understands that he's just falling deeper and deeper into it gives him a purpose of course Margot is crying at this point and says is it okay if i hate that you're getting married and uh, you know when he says all right you're going to be my best man I-, I understand what he's doing but i don't know it that yeah. that I-, I know it's supposed to be funny and and you know it wasn't terrible it just i don't know it just it wasn't fell uh, i mean it me. might have meant to be funny but it wasn't like funny. yeah Right. But now, chapter seven. Listen, kids, hold on. This is, a, this is a cautionary warning here because one thing you should not do is if you are trying to get yourself out of a bout of depression, uh, do not just go get married to someone. That's Good not going to help. Good point. Traditionally. Right. So chapter seven, weddings are so boring, Penny would rather astrally project into a dungeon. You know, at first, <laughs> now, see, I that thought- I can relate to. Like, that's oh, a good right. thing. This is why I think really Penny is just rocketed up the charts of, of my charts' favorite character. It's because of stuff like that. You know, like no one likes sitting through a wedding. We just don't always have the ability to just, you know, teleport away. The only thing worse is a graduation. Right. So, yeah. Uh, because it's all building up and, to and the, the only 10 thing seconds. Worse than that is going through a fifth grade and an eighth grade, air quotes, graduation in the matter of three days okay i know not fun so (laughs) all right well he and and at first i was like geez penny you you can't sit still for five minutes but then of course he's got victoria on his mind but then i start thinking well is his determination to save victoria altruistic or is it simply to get the voices out of his head and i'm not really convinced i know the answer but i guess at the end of the day it doesn't matter because he does save her yeah and i think it's mostly just to to save her because you know um that he is doing this you know not in a self-serving manner but you're right there is that bit about the voices right now um Chapter eight, like I said, be careful what you bargain for. You know, they determine that they need a god, and and so of course they're going to go look for Ember and Umber. Margot causes a distraction, dude. I don't know about you, but when she says they're men, I assume she was going to flash the guards. Yeah, I mean, she yeah, especially since she jacket. like yeah pulls yeah right, he just pulls her jacket apart like for sure. But you know, they can say the f word, but they can't show boobs. Right. <laughs> right. So uh so anyway, she just pretends to faint. And then we're back to the present, that opening scene when Quentin and Julia first encounter Ember inside his temple. And as he says, Jesus, you know, it is amazing, but amazing in a disgusting way. Speaking of disgusting, chapter nine, the gift of Ember. Uh, <laughs> all right, so <laughs> so they meet ember who's got as you said horns hooves yeah. and he tells them you're usually dead by now so clearly he knows about the time loop he was lured here by the beast umber killed and q volunteers to kill the beast and ember calls him the champion we've been waiting for which then goes back to our right question about whether or not he is the hero in, in this quest and and he re- mentions that quentin never stopped loving fillery only the best and purest 
can face the beast and, and he, you know, acknowledges that, you know, Julia, you, not so much with you. And she's like, well, uh, just in college, I, I stopped loving it. But yeah. he, he then notices her patch and removes it, yeah. which obviously speaks to many things about Ember, one of which is that he just doesn't care about people. Right. I mean, I mean, why do you have a patch? You have a patch in anything to repair something. Yeah, and, and Jane recognizes it and, as we mentioned, tells him to protect her, tells Quentin to protect her. You know, she didn't say, oh, let's get rid of that. She's saying, take care of her. You know, don't, don't take that patch off. Ember just does it so, like, without even a thought. Well, finally in Chapter 10, we get to acknowledge what you and I stumbled on many weeks ago, that Martin is, in fact, the Beast. And again, at first, it's like, oh, okay, so it's not Plover after all. But then, oh, yeah, but you still abused him as a child, right? None of that goes away. Sure. Oh, he he made the Beast as sure as anything. Exactly. It's, It's difficult to blame martin growing up i mean look again i'm i'm big on personal responsibility and and fine you had bad things happen to you but at some point right you know you you know you have to back off but you know we we get the recounting of how things happened fillery stopped taking martin and i think we knew that he found the wellspring which is the source of all magic and basically he just goes there night after night to drink from the wellspring right and i guess they acknowledge that the wellspring is beginning to run dry or did i make that up yeah no no they 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 did say that um they also said that as he continued to drink from it he his humanity uh was stripped away you know more and more right as he became more proficient at magic as he had more magic in him i I guess it had to crowd something out and, and as you said it crowded out the humanity in him so we get back to the knife and, you know, we had that scene where none of them can pick up the knife because none of them are a master magician. Right. So the best Ember was Petty. Says, He's like, oh, nice. He grabs it. He's like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> he drops it. Right. So Ember says, well, you know, then I gift you my essence. And yeah. suddenly this jar appears in Quentin's hand. And he's like, is this semen? And so now yep. we're like, and I forget what Margot's line about prom night to shut him she up. She said, just like, <laughs> pretend prom night, you really want to shut him up. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, you know, at this point, I guess Q is processing what it is he's going to have to do with the contents of this jar so that he can be infused with enough power to wield the knife. Nope, it's going to be Alice who drinks it, grabs the knife right. and which is maybe what, you know, Quentin might have had like kind of like a secondary reason for wanting to kind of pass the buck on this one. Like he's just like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to drink a big jar of semen. Right. <laughs> Alice, I think you're the one who should be doing. You know. Right. So now, so we get to the, the scene and the description about what happened with Julia that required her to have that patch put on her memory. And and we learn about the spell casting she was doing with Richard. And it was all a trick. Reynard, the Fox, a trickster. God is, has now come to this dimension Trickster of the very stupid. Yeah. And he kills everybody except Julia and Katie. Who's hide, who immediately goes under the table. You know, Julia's cowering. Uh, The others are already dead. And at first, Katie tells Julia to run. And then Julia confronts who she thinks is Richard. Uh, of course, at this point, it's just using Richard's body. Well, she knows. She just saw him rip Richard's heart out and then turn right. into right. Richard. So uh, Katie leaves as Julia is being raped in, in one of the most disturbing scenes. This is no, the most disturbing. Not scene. Yeah. There's no one of. <laughs> yeah. It's um, absolutely one of the most yeah. disturbing scenes I've, I think I've ever seen on television. It was right. And she calls Marina to help her clean up and, and it goes beyond the, the mere 
cleaning up the blood. And I mean, yeah. again, as disturbing as that was, it, how heartbreaking is it as Julia's trying to mop the blood-drenched floor, yeah. she even s- slips at one point yeah. and, and asks Marina. It was just Marina, bad, bad all around. Just. Right, and, and takes asks Marina to take her memory. She was trying to do good and got yeah. duped. But I guess at this point, because I keep wanting to think that Reynard the Fox is the beast, but I, we've got two different entities here as far as I yeah. can tell. And, and, oh, yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. Okay, and don't, you know, because as you said at the top, you, you've seen most of season two. I, I'm but, not saying anything. Okay, so Penny takes but we know, the But te- we know in this episode that clearly they're two distinct entities. Okay, right. So Penny takes the team, which is, you know, six, including Julia, to the Wellspring, and uh, <laughs> Q's trying to distract adult Martin. <laughs> he pulls out the, the cards, and at first I thought he really did have something to give to Martin that maybe I just missed, but no, it was a, a card trick. Alice doesn't have the knife. Yeah. All right, you know, next in line of the disturbing things, Penny has his hands cut off and i mean certainly there have been special effects throughout the season of the magicians that was pretty gruesomely done and yeah, you see the blood squirt up you know what upon rewatch it didn't look quite as cool I mean, when i say cool i don't mean i think it's cool that people have their hands cut off cool right. as in the first time i saw it was like holy crap like it looks so realistic and then the second time I watched it, it didn't look like that realistic at all, right. but still pretty wild. Right. So then we realize because it, it, it flashes back to the rape scene or, or actually the aftermath with, with Julia. And, you know, we see her clutching at her, her uh, stomach and below. Yeah. And, and we're thinking, all right, is this some kind of like magical instant pregnancy? But I think what we're supposed to see is that she has been infused with semen from Reynard that's right. given her power yeah. for her to be come, able to come hold in the, knife. the other direction. But right. But yeah. Um, and, yeah. So, but, but, you know, yet you're right that she's kind of grabbing her abdomen, you know, not like her vagina area. She's grabbing her abdomen, which seems like what you said there about a potential pregnancy happening here, that that could be what, what happened. So she's got a knife at the uh, beast's throat. I want to make a deal. And then they just disappear. And right. one of the things I'm confused about, what's happening off camera? Because as I've said many times, I watch things with closed captioning on. And I just, you know, my wife needs it. Uh, she has difficulty hearing, you know, uh, some of the things. And I just get used to having it on. And it says, Julia and Plover grunting. That was the closed captioning. So you hear the grunting going on in the background. Julia has just said, I want to make a deal. But it was with Martin, adult Martin, not with Plover. So I wonder whether the closed captioning was wrong. I think the closed captioning was wrong there. Okay. So it it just should have been. So is she having sex with adult martin off camera oh no i I think they just disappear okay because she she needs him to kill reynard like now she's hell-bent on revenge so and martin is the only one that she knows that can because he killed umber right yeah so he's he's the only person that she knows can kill a god so she needs him Okay. Uh, unfortunately, in order to get him, it looks like everyone else is dead. Okay. Or at least Margot and Elliot probably dead. I know you had, or maybe was it you or Fred? Oh, someone I saw had had asked that question. Penny's hands cut off. Q mm-hmm. in bad shape. So, well, why don't we talk a little bit about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey? Unless there's something you want to bring up. You know, before we get into that, I mean, you can certainly bring it up in the in the course of that. Uh, I don't think so. Let's move on okay. to okay. Monsieur okay. Campbell. So, 
Right. Now, we're not going to give you, you know, an hour long lesson uh, lecture on, on Joseph Campbell. You know, that's certainly something you guys can look up if you don't know it already. And I suspect a lot of you are familiar with Campbell and his well, uh, you went to high school, so yeah, Hero <laughs> of a Thousand Faces, which really brings to life the commonalities of, of the narrative structure of heroic myths throughout the world that that many cultures stories about heroes seem to follow this pattern and Campbell divides it up into 17 stages and then these stages are divided into three acts departure or separation initiation and return and we're certainly not going to go through all 17 and I think of all of the uh, movies, TV shows that that you guys may have seen, and Wayne, I would be shocked if you haven't used Star Wars right. as an example of of Campbell's hero's journey in, in your class. Oh, sure. I used to show Star Wars when we did, you know, when I taught tenth grade, and and that was, you know, this was in the curriculum. So, right, and um, you know, Lucas really adheres almost exactly to the different stages of yes. Campbell's monomyth. And while I don't think the magicians adheres point by point, I think there are enough uh, connections that it's worth, you know, spending a few minutes examining it because sure. he also talks about eight character archetypes that generally appear. And obviously number one is the hero as we've kind of alluded and I think by the time we get to the end of the episode, I, I, at least for me, it has to be Quentin Coldwater. Yeah. Well, if you through the course of the the um, the show, it has followed him from you know, his beginnings in the wasteland, you know, through the you know the call to action and all that stuff. We've really followed him now. You know, obviously, as we talked about before, you can definitely make an argument for Julia and make an argument for Alice as the heroes. But really, if you're looking at the Campbell monomyth, uh, the show has really been following Quentin from the you know those earliest stages. Right, right, a absolutely, and and even just little things, and and I guess ar you could argue that oh, you're you know you're reading too much into it, but. You know, he's walking ahead of Julia as they proceed through Fillory. He's leading the way. It's his blood that opens the entrance to Ember's castle. Uh, you know, Ember tells him only the best and purest can face the beast, even though he thinks Alice might be the hero. Now, again, you mentioned call to action, which is one of the early stages you know, of the journey, but certainly one of them is is basically turning down the opportunity to be the hero and typically that comes pretty early in the journey here i maybe look at his turning things over to alice as his refusal you know so that it doesn't necessarily come in the same order right but again this is a, a four season 52 episode show at, at this point so you know, really, who knows where it's going to end up? But sure. Uh, well, if we're looking at this particular story cycle, then then yeah, it does come late. But there's also, but it's there though. Like you know, who says it has to happen? Well, I guess Campbell said it has to happen in a specific order. But you know, doesn't necessarily right. always have to. No, and I'm not even sure because it's you know, I I, I know I've never read the entire book i know i was supposed to back in college <laughs> but someone so just I'm had not, a handout with a circle on it and you you got the whole thing there pretty much right so I, but i'm not sure if campbell says it has to go in that order maybe he does you, you know th that certainly may be uh, may be true but uh we also have a mentor and yep. in this case i think we certainly can consider dean fogg and professor sunderland I mean, she plays maybe not as significant a role as Fogg, but again, Quentin's at wit's end. He he goes, he spikes Fogg's tea to get him to tell him the truth about yeah. what's going on. And, well, and Jane Chatwin too, kind of. And Jane Chatwin as well. Now, had her under the ally list, and and 
the ally are you know, obviously the the person or persons that travel with the hero on on the course of this journey and obviously penny would be one elliot Margot, katie i guess jane chatwin could go either you know uh, certainly eliza the adult jane would probably fall yeah. under the mentor category. And, and, no, she's you know, probably more of a guide. I think she's probably more of a guide than a mentor. Yeah, Levy Fogg for sure is is the mentor. No right. question about that. Right. And, and Sunderland, I, I think Sunderland right. has and certainly so, right, given so. them enough information. Yeah. But yeah. but Sunderland, but the, the main one definitely Fogg though. Yeah. Right. 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 Now we also have uh, a character archetype known as the Herald, who typically appears at the beginning and lets the hero know that he or she needs to change your life, change what you're doing. They're sort of the, the impetus, uh, the catalyst for this whole adventure to be put into motion. Yeah. I'm not sure I can really put my finger on who that individual would be. And again, like I said, at the beginning of this, you know, maybe every, item in in campbell's catalog doesn't appear here but yeah I, I, again i think enough and and uh i think there are individuals that that could well um, julia certainly could it, exactly as the herald because it, you know that that relationship that she has with quentin is so complicated and their love of fillery from the time they were children to the present Again, I, I think we certainly could make a case, as you said, for Julia. Now, the trickster has been totally turned 360 because ordinarily it, it, it's comic relief or ordinarily yeah. it's humor and fun. And just, um, man, it's like distract to distract the hero from the, the course of the, of the main uh, quest, right? Right. And at first I, I wanted to say it was Renard the Fox, but... No, it's not at all. And and I thought, you know, on the one hand, that's sort of what Elliot does. Yeah, in I was his thinking role. Elliot, yeah. You know, because he, he doesn't seem to take any of this seriously. We, you know, we we talked about last week when he nearly gets them trapped by not basically following direction and ends up forcing Penny to have to kill that guy or, or uh, kill, I can't think of her name now off the top of my head. But we also have a shapeshifter who is kind of blurring the lines between ally and enemy, typically start as an ally, betray the hero at a critical moment. And, and certainly we're not going to talk about Alice's perceived betrayal at the, uh, I'm making air quote, at the hands of right. Ouch. perhaps something else. <laughs> yeah. but, but Our Lady Underground and Reynard the Fox uh, is certainly that that idea of our lady underground. And we talked about the religious overtones and, and the way Julia has just been drawn in from day one and that it gave her and the others a place to go, a sense of community, a sense of belonging purpose. And then of course we, you know, we see how it all turns out the guardian who tests the hero before their great challenges. And, and of course we've had a lot of challenges along the way. Uh, Campbell says they can appear at any stage of the story and, and typically appear at multiple points. Yeah, again, sometimes block an entrance and, and typically, it, it, you know, their messages just, you know, give it up, pack your bags, go home. You're not going to win. And, while Ember doesn't really do that, I mean, I'm gonna kind of hold him in that in, in that yeah. role for the time. I can see that. I mean, yeah. Um, I've also got Josh and Victoria, and their abandonment of the group. Now, yeah. you know, they're not blocking anything. I mean, I guess on the one hand, you could argue that their actions to just go party. Uh, four years ago or however long it was has really put penny in danger which obviously it does and 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 then they just get up and leave and you could say all right well josh has been trapped there for four years as has victoria has been in change chains why wouldn't she want to go but but still 
And then the last, arguably the second most important, I guess really equally important to the hero, is the Shadow, who mm-hmm. are, are the villains in the story, or right. villain. So whether it's you know Darth Vader in Star Wars, here it's clearly the Beast. Uh, yeah, obviously, right. But and Reynard the Fox, right? But well, yeah, it, but in, in this story arc, probably a little bit more the Beast. I mean, obviously Reynard is horrible, but has not really until Julia takes the knife and skedaddles with Martin. Uh, Renard really hasn't affected Quentin's hero journey. Right. Now, we could maybe look at it like the Beast is obviously in Fillory. Renard the Fox is sort of the Beast on Earth. Uh-huh. And then, of course, Christopher Plover is the one that really creates the yeah. Beast in the sure. first place. Sure. So while he's arguably not as big a villain as the other two and perhaps as the Beast... I think we still have to consider him, but but clearly the beast is the central focus at this point of the of the story. So you know, so I mean, those are the eight character archetypes that Campbell talks about. Most heroes' journey stories feature individuals, and you know, it'd be interesting to see moving forward in the series whether it, it continues to hold, and tend to think it will, but. Somebody like Lucas set out to follow yeah. Campbell's right. Uh, right. monomyth with Star Wars. Pretty, fairly uh, slavishly. Yeah. Well. Uh, now, anything else? Uh, you know, maybe any of the stages? You well, know, I was just really thinking don't. about the, the descent into the underworld, right? I'm not 100% sure, except for maybe Penny and Victoria. Um, okay. Maybe Jane Chatwin's death down the I guess the basement affillery. So yeah, not, not a hundred percent sure if we've seen that yet. Um, it's certainly, you know, the, the hero's ultimate test comes in the belly of the beast and, you know, we meet the, the beast in a, I guess kind of a cave like thing, the, in the, the well, the wellspring, but the hero, be it Alice or Quentin, is unable to really confront the beast there. So, you know, like kind of like, what's up with that, right? Well, that's true. And then we could maybe go back to the reason they couldn't confront the beast at that point is because Julia stole the knife. Right, right. Which suggests that the the, the journey is not you know, not yet done. They, they, this is, and maybe actually, yes. maybe this is the descent into the underworld. Maybe this right here is where the darkest point for the hero and now they need to rise up from this and ultimately confront and kill the beast well right i'm not giving away any spoilers i'm just saying that's how campbell's myth goes well right and just as you said we're only one quarter into the story that's been told so far right 13 episodes out of out of uh 52 so 13 times four right <laughs> yeah i can do the math so uh all right anything else before uh, we get to fred's feedback uh nope okay all right well let's take a listen well, to what actually fred... just one thing okay how does julia get that freaking knife well that's a good question um you know there's like a lot going Alice on not secure the knife right well and, and that was my first reaction that alice how could you lose the knife yeah the knife. But, you lost the knife I guess she didn't think there's anyone else who could wield it, right? Well, that's true as well, right? So she's probably might have been a little bit careless, but still, I find that sloppy work on her part. Oh, well, that's true, and and as you said, she she assumed she was the only one. She obviously has no way of knowing what happened with well, Dave. When you Julia. assume, you know yeah, what happens right. when you assume. I do. So, <laughs> all right, well, let's hear what Fred has to say, and we'll be right, right back. Thank you. 
Hello everybody, Ready Freddy is back in town. Hello Dave and Wayne. Last week I was watching season 2 episode 15 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And who do I encounter suddenly? Our Richard, a.k.a. Renard the Fox, played by Nick Blood. And a little spoiler alert, he didn't survive that episode very long and was very bleedy. Well, that's a kind of funny when you are called Nick Blood. He played a colleague of Mac and died on the day that S.H.I.E.L.D. fell. And in this episode of The Magicians, he also was quite bloody. Okay, going into the finale of season one of The Magicians. I think this will be an episode that Wayne didn't like. And why? Because there were so, so many voiceovers in this episode. Actually quite atypical for The Magicians. Within these voiceovers, there was the funniest line of the episode. Standing in Fillory was the greatest moment of my life. And not just because, as I later found out, the air is 0.02% opium, which is a pretty unfair trick to get you to love a place, but whatever. We loved it. One of the other very nice ones, and perhaps even better, is when Elliot is picked as the High King of Fillory that Penny says... Oh, this will make him easier to live with. I don't understand fully why the Watcherwoman, being Jane Tatwin, is present-day Jane. Whereas we just saw with the rope around her leg, young Jane. We are in 1942, Fillory. But since she's time-traveling, time loops, etc., it's probably possible, but I didn't get that still being in 1942 and then seeing present-day Jane. It's quite nice that Jane doesn't remove the patch on Julia's memory and is handling this with care, understands that's there for a reason, and later we see that Amber is doing that quite differently. Did you actually notice when Jane is uh, time-blocking Julia and she touches her to sense what is in her memory, that Jane has two watches on her arm. You only see that very shortly. So that's probably something of her device to time travel. And in this same scene, I actually get my answer of one of my questions of last uh, podcast, where I said, how will the Breakbills team meet Julia and Quentin? Because they arrived in present-day Fillory, whereas... Julia and Quentin arrived in 1942. I like it that Elliot has to become the High King of Fillory, especially because, as Wayne last week, I was getting quite annoyed by his behavior, irresponsible behavior, drugs, alcohol, etc., and in a real depressed way. And this becoming the King of Fillory could lead to feasts and whatever, but it looks like he sees it as a kind of responsibility and perhaps he is going to show a more responsible behavior from now onward. Well, at least I hope so. For Margot, it's a little sad, because Elliot is the only person she can stand. I wonder if we will see Fenn, Elliot's wife, in the next season, and Victoria. In Victoria's case, she bailed with Josh. But will she come back as the only under-traveler we know now? Or a life-traveler? Victoria and Josh were convinced they were all doomed, and that's why they bailed. Doomed? Well, fortunately, we have some seasons to go. Quinton was quite disappointed not being the High King, but at least Amber told him he is the champion. The Leo Blade to defeat the Beast can only be handled by a Master Magician. And Alice becomes a Master Magician by drinking a yucky um, Amber's sperm. I wonder if Alice will remain the Master Magician by this, or that it's just temporary. 
The same is true for Julia being raped by Renard Fox or Our Lady Underground or whatever. Also being in contact with sperm of a god. But is this a god? I, I think the Lady Underground is more a devil than a god. So I don't really see the connection. Or do devils and gods transfer their powers just in the same way? And the next question, of course, is did Julia become pregnant? And if yes, in what will that result? Amazing but nice is that Marina really wanted to help Julia. One nitpick, where did Julia put all the bodies? She was cleaning the floor, but the bodies were gone. But probably hand wave, hand wave. In one of the previous podcasts, I said that the house of Plover reminded me very much of the house of P.T. Westmoreland in Orphan Black. And now when we see the beast being Martin Chatwin, and he is wearing this old kind of suit with this high collar, it reminded me even more of Orphan Black and P.T. Westmoreland. Same kind of guy, same kind of house. The last part of the episode was so awful, with the rape of Julia with the hands of Penny being cut off, with Alice bleeding to death, Elliot and Marco probably just unconscious, and then another very bad thing is that Julia thinks that making a deal with the beast is more important than destroying the beast, in the sense of that she wants to punish Renard the Fox, and she knows that the beast has some experience in killing gods, as he did with Umber. Okay, this episode was of course an episode with heavy stuff in it, with rape of Julia. And previously we had an episode with suicide. And I think Sci-Fi did a very nice job to give a help telephone number at the end of the episode. Very thoughtful. Really want to make a compliment about that. Okay, that was The Magicians Season 1. Because last podcast you were discussing whether you perhaps will do sometime Season 2, but... You probably will decide that at the time Dark Episode 7 or 8 is out. In all the about 70 times I gave feedback, I normally watch the next episode just one, two days before your deadline. But in The Magicians, after finishing my recording for the feedback, I have to admit that I always watch the next episode immediately. And then four or five days later, just before recording, I watched it a second time. So, something interesting in this series that made me do that. But nevertheless, I will wait until Dark is finished and look whether you are going to do The Magicians or something else and then watch further, together with you or alone. Okay, that was all for this ride. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Brilliant! Thank you, Witch and Fool. All right, well, Fred, you know, like me, wants to know whether you like the episode and, and <laughs> related to the voiceovers. And, you know, we kind of talked about that. But again, the fact that you are 10 episodes in already, I'm going to have to get caught up because I've got some time right now that uh, I don't have anything on the horizon that, that is really right. going to occupy my attention. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's worth it's It's good. It's fun. If you like the season one, you like season two, I think. Now, he asks about whether or not we noticed the watches on Jane, the watcher woman Jane nope. on her arm. Uh, yeah, I didn't either. Nope. And, and you know, obviously, we see the clocks in the trees and, sure. and, you know, this whole idea of time and manipulating time has, has been part of the story, but it's really been more about the alternate dimensions rather than the time periods. I mean, yes, they are in 1942 Fillory and then they jump to 2016 but but I, I sense that with all of these clocks staring at us at, at various points in the narrative that you know something is going to give in, in that regard yeah let's see uh, will we see Fenn Elliot's wife back in season two well you know you know the answer to that I don't uh, I, I certainly assume we're going to yeah I, I mean i i i said that there's another actress so obviously we see oh right I said that she has that. a, a right. big role and i don't think that's any kind of spoiler at all i mean you could watch this and assume that fen would you know have a 
part that if Elliot's going to be the high king of Fillory, his wife, I'm, you know, it's probably going to play a part. So, um, so yeah. Right. Now he also mentions whether or not we'll see Victoria. And, you know, I, I mentioned her and Josh and, and the fact that they bailed on everybody else. Part of me understands after they've been there all that time, I, I certainly cut her more of a break than him because she was in chains the right. entire time. Right. You could definitely see why she would want to, you know, haul ass out of there as soon as possible. Right. So I would suspect we will not see her back because she's been so traumatized by the experience that there's no damn way she would volunteer to go back. And Josh is just, you know, a wuss. And, hmm. you know, he's just going to. Again, he's never heard the phrase, leave no man or woman behind. And he just, you know, only looking out for himself. You know, we talked about Alice becoming a master magician by drinking Ember's essence. We don't know, as Fred alludes with his question, we don't know whether it's temporary or permanent. So, well, well, you do. And and I guess (laughs) the same could be said for Julia. Um, right. and, and whether or not that's going to become permanent or, you know, temporary. And, and, you know, he, he mentions about Reynard, uh, AKA our lady underground, more of a devil than a God. And, uh, I assume Fred, you mean God with a small G because I mean, yeah, I, I don't know more evil. I, I think they're both pretty darn evil. You know, the, if you're comparing mm-hmm reynard to the beast so uh you know and and then uh you know he mentions the the pregnancy whether or not julia becomes pregnant and you know we talked about that and i assume that will get addressed and don't say but uh but he also mentions i would never dave uh, yeah but uh you know he he asks about the bodies in uh i guess that was julia's apartment where they were all meeting and Marina comes over, you know, where Julia leave all the body. I just assume Marina took care of it somehow. I, I, I don't, you know, I just. Well, it seems like the, the, that the bodies are gone by the time Marina gets there. So yeah, who, who knows? Yeah. So, uh, and then Fred brings up and, and he, uh, you know, he always gives us a hard copy of his feedback as well. And he put the, uh, the graphic in there because at the end of the episode they they put up a you know an ad for the suicide prevention lifeline and um yeah i I mean i think that was pretty responsible of sci-fi i mean i'm sure the network really forced the writers to explain why that scene was so necessary and you know handling something like that is such a delicate matter that i you know i I, I don't know what else they could do. I mean, within the context of the story, I I assume it's going to become even more important than it already is. And to then put this up at the end, I, again, I don't know what else they could do. So, uh, you know, Fred, I'm with you. I, I think sci-fi, you know, did what they could, did what they should do. Right. I mean, because you see these things in a television show and – we distance ourselves and dissociate, right? It's like, oh, right. well, that's it's just a show, you know. But these things are real things. These things happen, and these things are serious things. That, um, like, even in the context of a, and, and obviously, the show does not treat suicide or rape in any, you know, flippant or lighthearted manner. But, um, but those, I think, I like those things at the end to just kind of remember, remind you, like, yeah, there's some serious stuff. And these are things that are serious in Fillory as well as this world. Right. And, and we understand, and, and I think The Magicians does a good job, and I assume will continue to do the, the, the job of reminding us that not only are there physical consequences and traumas, but there are, are emotional and psychological as well. And, you know, we already, you know, see those occurring at this point. But, uh, uh, anything else you want to bring up about Fred's? No. Well, just that last, uh, the last picture he put there. It says, thank you for this podcast, Witch and Fool. And I obviously would say, well, you know, which one am I? 
Yeah. Uh, well, we'll leave it up. Maybe we do a poll on the uh, right <laughs> Facebook group. But I have a uh, feeling how it'll come out. But yeah, you know, uh, we'll see. Yeah, but uh, anyway, Fred, thank you for your feedback. Uh, always insightful and a lot of fun as well. And, and then Fred, you know, mentions that that he's going to hold off watching season two based, I guess, on whether or not we ever pick it up. But Fred. I I don't know. Um, you know, maybe we liked it more than you liked it. Uh, you know, as Wayne has said, he's already ten episodes in. I'm I'm gonna probably hit season two later tonight. You know, now that we have it recorded, I can edit and watch season two as as uh, well at the same time. But uh, anyway, all right. Well, we'll go ahead and leave it there. And that is gonna do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about The Magicians, Dark, anything else going on in genre TV. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. Uh, if you're already a member, you can spread the word. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails can go via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website or just record your own like Fred does each week and send it to us as an MP3 attachment. And we'll be back next week to begin our discussion of Dark with the season two premiere, which is uh, still titleless, at least as far as the general public's concerned. Mm-hmm. But until then. So my uh, high school acting career actually was not in high school. As I was teaching at the high school and they were doing Oliver. And so they had a bunch of the teachers uh, join in to sing Um Pa Pa at the end. So it's. Uh, I was trying to advertise the, the show, and so I, I wrote up on my board. I said, but what you didn't know is that I am in that scene, bitches. <laughs> <laughs>